Uh, a couple of quick announcements before we jump into our talk today. First of all, my name is Ryan, and I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads, and I'm so glad you're joining us for the family uh, practice series that we're in in our family cast, where we're talking about surviving the ones we're stuck with. And uh, so thank you for being here, and it is wonderful to get to be together. I was able to, during some of the other parts of the family cast, be on the live campus and Facebook say hi. It's so encouraging to see everybody connecting. And don't forget, um, it still is important that we share uh, this experience with our friends. We, ha- we all have friends and family members who don't have this anchor in their life, the anchor of gathering as a community and having faith. And uh, I think that what we do is a lot of fun. And I think it would be a neat opportunity to introduce people to Crossroads. So share it out. Uh, and uh, especially the Mother's Day, what an easy one. Hey, so, uh, you know, kick off Mother's Day with this fun Mother's Day uh, cast, broadcast. So it's going to be good stuff. Listen, this Thursday evening, uh, we're doing a church life update. And so we're beginning to do these the first Thursday of every month. And so this is for anyone who is connected to Crossroads. You would say, uh, I am invested into Crossroads Church. I am a part of Crossroads Church. As a uh, culture starts to shift and our community starts to uh, reopen and we have uh, more opportunities to be together for our in-person programming to relaunch, we're going to be talking about what are some of the implications of the new uh, changes to culture to the way in which we are uh, functioning functioning and doing ministry. And so things are reopening, but here's the thing. I hate to break the news to everybody, but the church is not reopening because the church never closed. It never closed. We just shifted programming. We're here to bring hope. We're here to support one another, to equip one another, to be the hands and feet and love of Jesus in our world. So we never closed. We just shifted some programming and some programmings will shift as things change. And we're excited to share that with you. That's going to be at 8 p.m. live, wherever you're watching right now, you can watch there 8 p.m. on Thursday evening after the family cast. And uh, we'll be taking some questions, some Q&A, all that good stuff. So that's going to be good. All right. If you haven't yet got your talk notes. Now's a good time to go over to uh, crosswoodscolorado.com slash resources. You can download them and get those ready if you're a fill in the blank kind of person as we jump into our talk. Listen, every series of talks that we do are kind of based together and uh, they, they form a theme. And our theme for this series comes from this verse in scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So think about that the next time you tell your spouse you love them, that love never gives up, love never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Think about that when you tell your friend, when you tell your children, your boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever it might be, love never gives up. And so we're talking about that because this is a season where we feel like giving up sometimes. This is a season where we feel like losing faith. It's a season where at times we feel hopeless. And we don't know if we can endure, but we can. That's what love is all about. So we're doing that. I've got a question for you. So if you're uh, watching us online, which you are if you're listening, but particularly if you're doing it live, okay? Because we won't be able to respond if you're watching this on demand. But if you're live right now, and, and just in case you're wondering if you're watching live, it is currently 11.03 Mountain Standard Time. So if it's not 11.03 Mountain Standard Time, wherever you are, you're not live, okay? But listen, here's the question. Write your comment in the comment section so that our online host can see. And uh, I wanna know this. Tell me about a rule that you struggled to follow as a kid. Not one now, we don't wanna deal with that right now. But as a kid, there was a rule. Maybe you hated it, you struggled with following it. It was the last thing you wanted. Let's ask the man in the strange hat. So, Star Wars hat. That's yeah. the weirdest Star Wars hat I've ever seen, by the way, Rod. 
Well, so thank you, Ryan. Before I answer that question, it gives me a chance right now. It's May 3rd um, to wish all of you an early May the 4th be with you. <laughs> this is not my normal garb. This is just the blazer I got married in. But no, just kidding. <laughs> but um, this cap that Ryan's talking about, it says industrial automation. And this is a Star Wars cap. And if you know what that is, I'd love for you to comment. Okay. Because that would prove your inner geekness. Your inner geekness. <laughs> to a whole new level. But anyway, Tell the, us. the question, the question, back to the question. The question is, what's one rule I hate or struggled with? Bedtime. Simply mm -hmm. bedtime. I believe bedtime, the bedtime <laughs> rule is where FOMO was created, the fear of missing out. Because when I would go to bed, a couple things was going through my mind. Number one was, what are my mom and dad watching on TV? And especially when friends were over and they were sent to bed and they were having a conversation, I always wondered what they're talking about. So I made sure I needed to get at least a couple glasses of water, use the restroom <laughs> at least two or three times <laughs> to kind of get out there. So that's one of my bro. Like who among us has it, right? Who among us hasn't had to use the bathroom 16 times? Exactly. That was the worst when you got put to bed and there were people over and you were like, what are they doing exactly. and why can't I be a part of it? Jess, I'm sure this... you never struggle with rule following as a child. Right? Um, probably the big rule that I had a hard time with was not visiting with anybody I was sitting near. At, oh, okay, like at school. Yeah, at school. Gotcha. And so, you know, everybody's my friend. I love all people. So even if you moved to me, they're my people too. Did you ever get moved for talking? Oh, for sure. Yeah, so for you, sure. you sent this picture. I sent Ryan a picture that just described me perfectly as a child. Did I love it. Dear Teacher, I talk to everyone, so moving my seat won't help. I love it. Moving my seat won't help. So. You're just going to talk to me. You're going to love on whoever it is. Yes. You're I love all people. <laughs> They're all my people. Everybody. I love it. <laughs> you know, rule following is interesting because it's hard for us. And uh, when, if you're a parent of a young child, you know this to be true. You do not expect your young children to be wise. You expect them to be obedient, right? When you say it's time to go to bed, go to bed. If you're a teacher, you expect the kids in your classroom, uh, especially the young kids, to be obedient. And it is because wisdom isn't necessary for obedience. And obedience is really what rule following is all about, right? Rule following doesn't require wisdom. It just requires obedience. And, and, and it's interesting because we're okay with that. There's something perfectly wonderful about this idea that I just need my children to learn obedience. I need them to understand what I'm asking of them. And I'm not asking of them, what I'm not asking of them is to understand everything. I'm asking them to simply obey. Now, think about this for just a second, right? Let's imagine for a moment that you are 55 years old and you have a 30-year-old child. And uh, you're, in, you're at home one evening and it's say 9.30 at night and your child calls you. It wouldn't be uncommon. You look at your cell phone, it's your son or daughter. Oh, it's great. I'm going to get a chance to talk to my son or daughter. It's wonderful. Then what happens? You pick up the phone and it's your 30-year-old child asking you this question. Hey, uh, mom, what time do I have to go to bed tonight? That would be a bizarre question from a 30-year-old, right? Or imagine them calling. It's around dinner time. Hey, dad, do I have to eat my vegetables tonight? Can I have dessert first? If they were asking you those questions, what would you think? You'd think, well, oh my goodness, they have not kind of walked into a space. Why are they calling me for this? We would say that maybe their maturity, their, their wisdom has been stunted, right? Maybe they haven't walked into a, a space of life where they need wisdom. And they're not calling for wisdom, right? They're calling to find out what rule they have to follow. And we would say that that child lacks 
wisdom. They, they might have obedience, like you might tell them, hey, yes, absolutely. Uh, I would love to uh, tell you, here's your bedtime. It's 1030. You got to get up for work in the morning. They might obey you, but we would recognize that there would be something just not quite right in that situation because they lack wisdom. Now, uh, in the in the Bible, there's a little letter. We call it the letter of James. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus. And this letter traditionally has been ascribed to him. And in it, he actually talks about this thing called wisdom. And he actually says that you don't have wisdom because you don't ask for it. And he says, if you would just ask God for wisdom, God would give you wisdom generously, right? The wisdom is something that we can have if we ask. So the question becomes like, how come we don't have wisdom, right? We know that, that, Parenting is not about getting our children to simply learn obedience and then become just obedient 30 and 40 year olds and 50 year olds and 60 year olds. And then they're just lost uh, when mom or dad uh, passes away. I don't know what to do to obey. That's not the point of parenting. We know that parenting means preparing children for a complex and uncertain world that we are raising our children to grow in the, and move away from simply obedience into wisdom. But here's what I wonder. I wonder if uh, from a faith perspective that we're actually maturing ourselves. I wonder if we don't have wisdom and we don't ask for wisdom because our faith doesn't demand wisdom of us because we imagine that a life of faith is about simply rule following. And so we call up God and say, what time am I supposed to go to bed tonight? What time am I, do I have to eat my vegetables, God, right? I wonder if maybe our understanding of God and faith and, and this whole sense of surrender to God and what the scripture actually is and what the scripture's trying to do in our lives, what makes it so inspired is more about wisdom and less about raising up to simply, for us to simply be obedient little humans that know all the rules and follow them. So I would say that we often miss out on wisdom, true divine wisdom, because we misunderstand the ultimate purpose of the Bible and that is to teach us wisdom. So we misunderstand faith, we misunderstand this relationship, the actual whole relational nature to faith. And so instead we turn to scripture to give us our rule as opposed to give us examples of wisdom, of how wisdom is preparing us for the complexities of our day, of our time. Peter Enns, uh, an author, and, uh, and, and he's a kind of a theologian, biblical studies. He writes for the common person as a podcast called the Bible for, I think it's called the Bible for, uh, every nor for normal people, something like that. Uh, he's written a book called How the Bible Actually Works. And uh, in this book, he talks about the real purpose of the Bible is wisdom and not rules. And if you're actually wondering about the Bible, maybe you're new to faith or maybe you've been a part of faith for a while, but it's kind of, it's been frustrating for you like to try and figure out what is the scriptures and maybe you're in a place of confusion. I'd, I'd highly recommend picking up this book. It's a great uh, way to understand and think about scripture and what it means for scripture to be inspired and have a place in our lives. And in this book, this is what, uh, what, uh, what Peter N says about wisdom. He says, wisdom is about the lifelong process of being formed into mature disciples who wander along well the unscripted pilgrimage of faith. I love that. That wisdom is this lifelong process of being formed into mature disciples. The word disciple is just kind of a follower or a student of, of Jesus, right? That there's a maturity to it. And we wander along this pilgrimage of faith, that faith is a journey. And we are in tune to the all surrounding thick presence of the spirit of God in us and in the creation around us. 
I love this definition of wisdom because it's not about something we necessarily achieve, but it's about a way in which we live, that we interpret our surroundings, our, we interpret every experience, and we do it by understanding that there is this presence of God, the Spirit of God that is in all things, in all creation, and in us. So what I want to do for the next few moments, I wish we had a lot of time to just slow down and kind of talk about these things, but I want to give you a quick overview of a journey towards divine wisdom. It's a journey that we all go through, and, it, and I think this can help us walk into a space, particularly in our everyday normal lives, to understand how wisdom can actually eliminate a lot of anxiety that we might be feeling right now. How wisdom can actually set a temperature in us that can, that can create a household that is filled with warmth, that's filled with grace, but we have to kind of understand the big picture of wisdom. And I think we can see this big picture, this growth of wisdom, Wisdom throughout the scriptures. I think it's, it's kind of baked into the scripture. This is one of the reasons why I think the scripture is inspired is because we have these great themes that, that appear in this movement in scripture that mirrors and models the movement that takes place inside each and every one of us, right? So this journey towards wisdom we're gonna talk about has kind of three stages that we walk through. And I think this is the experience of every person I think most people, we get stuck in stage two, but what salvation, what transformation is all about is learning to live into what we'll call today stage three wisdom, right? But first stage wisdom, let's start there. First stage wisdom is this wisdom that really centers on protecting and growing the ego, the person. We might call this the false self. It's our personal identity. It's my understanding of who I am as a person. I am Ryan. It's, it's the, maybe the things that make me who I am and it's generally formed through comparison. It's through distinction, right? It's through understanding who I am in, a po in opposition to who you are, what makes me unique. And it's about a healthy self-understanding. And really the way that this wisdom relates to love is that this is the wisdom to love myself, right? There, that's important. This is not bad. This is not evil. It's just early stage wisdom where I learned to love myself. And we have met people and you know people and you might be this person yourself who never in your life were you able to learn to love yourself. And that has set you down a path of really self-destructive behavior and really the inability to love others because this is where it starts when I have a healthy understanding of who I am and learn to love myself. We see this very early on in the scriptures. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, uh, we have this wonderful story of creation that teaches us about ourselves. It teaches us about the nature of God. It teaches us about the nature of the way in which we stray and, and some of our longings and desires. It teaches us about what we do when we make mistakes, how we, we usually go to blame someone else. But in this part of this creation story, we have these two human beings, uh, Adam and Eve, and they're living in this wonderful garden. And there's all these trees, and there's one tree that they're not supposed to eat. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis chapter uh, two and three, we start to see things unfold in this story. And Eve is tempted by the serpent in this story. The animals, it's an enchanted world, right? The animals talk and the animals are wise. And the serpent, according to this story, was the shrewdest, the wisest of all animals and came to Eve and says, Eve, really, seriously. I think you've got it all wrong. Like, what is this all about? What is it all about? Like, you can't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's the real deal. Like, this will help you understand life. This is what makes you like God. And, and the serpent, like, begins to put doubt into Eve's mind about herself, her own identity, 
right? We learned that she was actually created in the image of God, but, but the serpent sows the seed of doubt, right? And, and so all of a sudden, Eve is wondering, well, who am I? Maybe there's more to me. And so all of a sudden, this is what it says in Genesis chapter three, says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, right? It was a very selfish understanding of wisdom and it has its place. I, I wanna say that I really do believe that this wisdom for myself, right? That's this first level. I don't wanna dis, dis, just kind of discard it as evil and bad. It has its place. We need this wisdom. We need this understanding of who we are. And that desire that she had is not necessarily bad, but it's early stage wisdom. And it's that knowledge that defines and defends me. It gives me a sense of a healthy identity, knowing who I am. Now, we don't want to end there, right? If, if we don't stop there, we wouldn't say that's wisdom to just simply know who I am. I mean, that's, that, that is the formation of like, you know, very early childhood, we start to develop the sense of who we are and distinguishing. But boy, if we just stay there, man, we, were, we produce very selfish people, right? Very, very selfish people. And so we move to the second stage of wisdom. And that is a wisdom that is really meant to protect and grow our groups. At first stage, wisdom is about protecting and growing my ego. Then second stage wisdom is about moving into this bigger, broader understanding of myself in relationship to others that are like me, right? So if one wisdom is to learn how to love myself, this next wisdom is kind of a move towards selflessness. And it's a wisdom to love my people, the people that are like me, the people that are part of my religion, the people that are part of um, my tribe, right? They're the people that wear Crocs, right? Am I right? Where's Rod? Rod's in the room. Rod's down here. He's wearing his Crocs today right? That's my tribe, my people, right? The, the people that live in Colorado, right? Those are my people, right? Uh, we think of our people in, in all these categories. We think of people who believe the same we do, uh, who like the same things that we do, uh, Americans, uh, white, uh, our race. Like these are all categories that if we're not, that it's not bad to learn to love this, these people and, and my people, but it can only go so far. There's good and there's bad, right? I, there's good things about, hey, I'm a Coloradan now. I actually have the driver's license to prove it, right? That, that's a good thing. It's not necessarily bad. And there is a good side. Like we see this at its best, right? Second stage wisdom at its best is in the, the life of Solomon, who was the son of David, the great king of Israel. And he's now placed into authority as the king. And he is like freaking out. He doesn't know what to do with, with, with all these people, his people. And, he's, he, and God says to him, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And his response is, give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. Who could possibly govern this great people of yours? And so God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people, right? There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to love and help your people. And you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, and this is interesting, or even the death of your enemies. We're starting to see a hint even in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, we're starting to see a hint of this third stage wisdom, right? That I don't need to have the death of my enemies, right? It's a hint there. It's a foretelling. He says, Eve, you didn't ask for that or ask for a long life. What's long life? That's about me, right? That's first stage wisdom, right? 
He says, because that you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested. So God gives Solomon this amazing wisdom. So the story goes. Now here's what's interesting. That's the best possible outcome for first stage wisdom. Second stage wisdom at its worst looks like the disciples. Jesus is constantly trying to get the disciples unstuck out of second stage wisdom. So John says to Jesus in Luke chapter nine, master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. Could you imagine, right? Here's a person who is freeing people from uh, behaviors and attitudes that possess them, that torment them, giving them freedom. And here's a disciple who says, they're not one of us, right? They haven't, they haven't come alongside of us. They aren't sitting around the campfire with us. This is crazy. I told them to stop. Like that is second stage wisdom at its worst, loving ourselves so much that we exclude what God is doing outside of our group. And Jesus says, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you, right? And he's starting to push the boundaries, starting to help open up human conscience to the understanding of what real wisdom is all about. And that is third stage wisdom, what we'll call divine wisdom. And so divine wisdom is really about protecting and growing the universal kingdom of God, right? So first stage wisdom is about protecting and growing my ego. Second stage, protecting and growing my, my group, my people, and how to love my people. Well, third stage is where we move into this, what I would call salvation, what I would call this, this transformation, where we are learning to protect and grow the universal kingdom of God. And as that relates to wisdom, it is not the wisdom to simply love myself. It's not the wisdom to love my people, but it's just the wisdom to love. Just the wisdom to love. This is where it becomes transformational. This is where we move out of ourselves, out of our groups and into the universal kingdom of God. No place more do we see this, I think so clearly than one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen. for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, that God loved the world. For this is how God loves. This is love. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul starts to break down the wisdom of this world versus the wisdom of God. In a few verses, he really starts to just lay it out for us. And I would encourage you to read all of first Corinthians chapter one this week if you want to explore this. It's such an inspiring and inspired passage where, where Paul is talking about how we wrestle with living in first and second stage wisdom, but God is pulling us into third stage wisdom and it seems so foolish. He says the message of the cross, right? John three sixteen. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Later on, he says, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Paul is talking about this thing called salvation in his terms or saved in his terms. And I would say that is talking about this calling, this vocation, like salvation is this, this calling out of ones to be images of God in the world, functioning as little Christ, icons of Christ, mirroring and reflecting this love of God. And it's the Christ that, that is so foolish to the world that is the actual power of God the death of the, the victim, the, the suffering of, of, of Jesus. That is the actual power of God, this wisdom of God, this plan of God to show the world what love actually was, to show the world God's love for all the world. And later on, he continues, he says, this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. 
And I love this. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strengths. What is God's weakness? This might mess with you. This might be hard to hear. But what Paul's saying is God's weakness, God has a weakness, it's love. That God's love, his weakness, this great love that caused God to give God's self so that humanity could understand God's love for the world, that God's love is stronger than the greatest of human strength, that God's love is stronger than any army, God's love is stronger than any vehicle of hatred, exclusion, that God's love, which is God's weakness, is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And so in verse 30, God has united you with Christ Jesus, that when we surrender our lives, when we recognize the vocation that God has called us into to be icons in this world that mirror and reflect the love of God, to live this out, we've been united with Christ Jesus and for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself, that we are united with wisdom, this third level wisdom, which is love. And so here's the encouraging part. Every journey to wisdom, every journey to wisdom begins with learning to love myself, the ego, but it culminates, it finds its fullest expression when I recognize that my life is hidden in the mystery of Christ crucified. That is, I can't understand it. I can't fully explain it. That Christ has, Christ was born, Christ died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again. It is a great mystery, but my life is hidden in that love. And that is biblical wisdom, which that is faith. So when we talk about faith and putting our trust in Jesus, it's putting our trust in the wisdom of God, which is the weakness of God, which is Christ, which is love. And so wisdom, divine wisdom, it honors all these stages. We don't have to, we don't have to look back at the times where we were learning to love ourselves and call ourselves selfish. We don't have to look at the mistakes that we made as we learn to love our people Right? We just have to recognize that those are stops along the journey and we can't ever get stuck and we move forward. Jesus talked about this in terms of completing and fulfilling the law. What, what, does, what do laws do? Laws create boundaries in societies, right? We have our constitution of the United States of America, right? And out of the constitution flows our laws, right? And those laws provide order and boundaries, right? It's the same for the Jewish people. The laws provided, this is what it means to be Jewish. But Jesus comes and says, I haven't come to abolish it, but I am fulfilling it. I am taking it. I am completing it and bringing you into this new way of living, this new way of perfect love. And so there's mercy in all things, right? To actually make a mistake, to actually get focused on myself, there's mercy in that because I live in forgiveness and I learn from it. There's mercy when I actually have the moments where I respond in a Christ-like way and I absorb the pain, I absorb the hurt that gets thrown at me through a person and I can send that back, I can release that back into the world as love, as gentleness, as peace. And so here's what this looks like. And here's why it's so important for our everyday normal lives is because wisdom, love requires that we embrace mystery, right? And you've heard me say this before. Mystery is not, some, is not unknowable. It's not that something is unknowable. It's that it is infinitely knowable. That, that this love, this wisdom, this power of God, this weakness of God that is stronger than any power on this earth has so many layers to it that we can continue to explore and we can continue to mine and dig into. And it frees us. It frees us from having to decide who's in and who's out. It frees me from having to be right all the time. It frees me from having to argue my point at home with my children and with my spouse. It frees me to just love 
to stop pulling out the weeds in my faith community, right? Jesus said, listen, you know, there's weeds and there's weed and they grow together. Don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. The father will figure it out. Just include, just include, just include, just include, just love. This is the great weakness of God to love everyone, to include everyone. And and, and so we can be free from all of these things that weigh us down and produce anxiety. I can be free. There's something that is so fundamental about this understanding that if I can live in this, this great wisdom of God, which is love, if I can live in that space, then what I do is I can love even when someone doesn't deserve love, in my opinion. That when I start to feel attacked, when I start to feel disrespected, when I start to feel all these things, when I start to see somebody, I start to see them as my enemy, living in this third space of love, of divine love, it centers me back. And it says, hey, that person that the world would say is my enemy. That person who the circumstance, right? When I get into an argument with my kids or I get into an argument with my spouse and I start to think they're the enemy, right? I have, I'm, I'm regrounded in this great wisdom of God that is Christ that is the love of enemy, that is to love to the point of death, believing that there is resurrection. And you've experienced this, you have experienced this, we just haven't had the language for it. You've experienced those moments where you, you find yourself transformed and you're in an argument and you're able to stay in your own space and, and you don't get pulled into that space of anger and you might be in an argument with a spouse or a child, but you kind of absorb their fear, you absorb their anger, you stay calm, you release it back in love to them. And what happens in your death, what's resurrected, that relationship. And you've seen that relationship flourish, right? We experience this great theme, but it is the wisdom of God to turn the other cheek. It's the wisdom of God that we see in Christ. Christ became wisdom for us. And so finally, here's another great thing that's just so good for us as adults who are trying to have an adult relationship with God is that God is not a helicopter parent. What we see in scripture is God is not this helicopter parent just hovering over us, waiting to tell us what time to go to bed right? Waiting to jump in and solve all of our problems. No, this God is equipping us to steward this world well. I mean, the beginning of scripture is here's the earth, subdue it, take it, manage it well. And God is preparing and has been bringing humanity through these stages and phases of maturing and growth. And this image of helicopter parent uh, Peter Enns uses in his book is just so good is that so many of us have this poor understanding that God is just hovering over us, waiting to solve every problem or punish everything we do. But that's not God. God is empowering us with wisdom to learn to navigate the complexities of the world in which we currently live. And that's what the beauty of scripture is. We have people doing the very same thing in their day and age and in their time. And this matters in such important ways because freedom is found in biblical faith. See, biblical faith is not say this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't believe this. That's religious rule following. But biblical faith is living in the hidden mystery of Christ crucified this hidden mystery of the wisdom of God. And when I live in that wisdom that is love for everything, all things, my enemies, my friends, it's for all things to live in a love for this world, the earth that God has created, animals, right? All of that, when we live in that, that's biblical faith. That's biblical faith, not religious rule. And there's so much freedom in that. 
There's so much freedom that just, that just pushes me, that gives me wind to just, and wings to fly into this world and to be that icon of God's grace and God's hope and God's love. And it is freedom to live with the paradoxes and the unanswered questions of life. It is the paradoxes of faith that the first will be last and the last will be first. To turn the other cheek, to love your enemy, to go the extra mile. The, the, the life of biblical faith, of wisdom, of love is filled with paradoxes. How can I love my spouse so much in one moment, but then in 10 minutes later, be so frustrated and then an hour later, be back so much in love. It is the paradox of it. And we all know that love produces all kinds of unanswered questions in our lives. And the great wisdom literature that's found in scripture like the book of Job and Ecclesiastes. These wisdom literature brings us to a space where we're okay with the unanswered questions. We're okay with the paradoxes because we've experienced the deep transformation that love brings, that love can transform our suffering, that love can transform our pains and our hurts. And that's what is so powerful. So as we wrap up our broadcast this morning, as we finish up, uh, there's some next steps. What's God inviting you into today, right? Well, maybe, maybe God's inviting you to think about something in your current situation that you absolutely hate. You hate it. You hate this about the stay-at-home orders, the safer at home. You absolutely hate it. Here's what I would ask you. Like biblical wisdom, biblical faith would say, how do I love this? How do I love this suffering? How is this the the, the crucifixion side of it and what is God resurrecting. And so maybe there's something that you can love better because of it. Maybe there's something that you're learning to love better because of the suffering, right? Maybe it's just to consider that and that starts to give us a new way of seeing and understanding. And we hold the suffering, the thing that we hate, the thing that's so hard until it transforms us until it shapes us. And then we've actually walked the way of the mystery of the Christ uh, that is crucified. We have died to something and something new has been brought to life. So maybe there's some thinking there. Maybe this is your first time on the broadcast and you're like, whoa, what is going on here? I'd love to kind of say hi. I'd love to get to know this church, right? Um, but how do I do that? Well, we have a, a new here virtual meetup just in case you don't have enough Zoom meetings in your life. Um, we have a virtual meetup where immediately following the family cast, I'm gonna jump in there. Our host will jump in there. Another one of our pastors will be there. We just would love to say hi and meet you. And, uh, and if you're kind of a friend invited you, I would encourage the friend to jump onto the Zoom virtual meetup as well. The link is in all the comments comment sections of wherever you're watching this. All right. So listen, fill out that connect card, that digital connect card. And, uh, and, and, and if you have a prayer request, put it in there. Uh, we have people that just, they really feel like they have this gift of prayer. They would love to be praying for you. Uh, this is a great opportunity to give your offering. Thank you so much for continuing in generosity and supporting the ministries and the work that we're all doing together. Uh, thank you for your continued support of the Kids Are Worth It uh, campaign so that we can continue to do effective ministry and support families. All this has been great. So listen, as we wrap up and as you consider what God is inviting you into today, we've got a great song. And uh, I'm telling you, don't tune out. This song is wonderful. And it really is what wisdom, biblical faith is all about. That when I look into the eye, when I look at the face of my enemy, all I can see is my brother. All I can see. That's what it means to move outside of myself and my group into the kingdom of God, into this space that says God is at work and God is present even in the life of my enemy. And this is a great song to really uh, solidify what we've been talking about today in a different format. So enjoy the song, get that connect card filled out. Thank you for giving, uh, enjoy it.
get your announcements and we uh, look forward to being a part of uh, your life this week. Connect with us through all the different ways here at Crossroads. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for this idea that wisdom is not simply knowledge of ourselves or our group, the things that produce boundaries, but true divine wisdom. What we know as biblical faith is love and it transforms us. It's, the, it's just the wisdom to love what you love and that is the world, to include who you include and that is everyone. We thank you for it, amen. Enjoy the song.